Up next, we'll have on poet and essayist Anne Boyer, who will be making a trip to the city next week. Anne is the winner of the 2018 Cy Twombly Award for Poetry from the Foundation for Contemporary Art and a 2018 Whiting Award in Nonfiction and Poetry. Uh, she's released many books, most recently A Handbook of Disappointed Fate and a memoir that will be coming out in 2019 called The Undying. Hey, Anne, how's it going today? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Um, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Peterhouse College at Cambridge University. Oh, wow. That's exciting. Are you doing a uh, teaching fellowship over there? Well, sort of, yeah. I'm, I'm the Judith E. Wilson uh, Poetry Fellow for this year, um, which mostly involves reading and writing and a tiny bit of teaching. Okay, well, that's exciting. Um, how has the time been so far? Oh, it's been wonderful and, and um, probably unlike any other possible place on earth. Um, lots of, of people dressing up in robes and engaged in, in rituals involving Latin. <laughs> so you're basically living in like the name of the rose slash Harry Potter right now, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not a bad reality, I don't think. Um, well, awesome. Um, well, you were going to be coming to New Orleans on Monday, November 5th. That's- uh, for an appearance yes. at Tulane. Uh, could you talk about that a little bit? Um, well, yes, I'm going to be coming um, to give a reading at Tulane um, and a workshop um, as the Iran's uh, visiting poet. Um, so I'll read some from, from my the old work and probably some new poems I've written since I've gotten to Cambridge. And I know you have a, a new book out right now, a handbook of disappointed fate, uh, which is a okay. co- yeah, yeah, a collection of essays, right? Yeah, so essays, fables, um, ephemera, and so it kind of collects ten years worth of of efforts, things that were invited for me from various publications or events. Oh, interesting. And tell me a little bit about the curating of that book, because it's such a like wide period of time to be drawing from. Oh, it is. I, mean, I think that, that at first um, I had this notion that I was going to collect it all because I put it together when I was ill and thought I sort of had some sort of responsibility to my past writing. And then um, I, I got through that period and realized I had a longer future than I had anticipated. And so I was able to take a lot out, which was a satisfying feeling um, of being able to make a more careful selection of what I present. And so the book is roughly grouped around themes like music and place and poetry um, and illness. Um, and so the, the book kind of moves through a set of my concerns, and I, I tried to pick the work that that um, most captures those. No, I can see that reading, reading through it, and um, it really works well together. And just I'm kind of going through one of the things that I notice most about uh, this collection of, of works, but obviously your other work, is just how important rhythm is to the way that you write and just like how propelling it is. Cause I'll be like reading one essay and just the way you lead into it. I just feel like I got to keep going and like I'm moving along this track. Um, where did you kind of discover um, that kind of rhythmic way of writing and how has that progressed throughout your career? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, I write as a poet first. And so whether I'm writing prose, um, prose criticism or uh, speculative essays, 
um, or other kinds of like sort of uh, prose writing. Um, I come to it as a poet, and poetry emerges through through the patterning of sound. And there's no way to not think with your ear when you're a poet, um, when you've been thinking about language um, as it's arranged. And the other thing about poetry is, is that it has a, a relationship to time and temporality. Um, so a poem usually, if it's doing what it's supposed to, um, will control the pace of its own reading, will either like create the sensation of things coming all at once or things moving slowly or things paused and brought to like a total stillness. And um, so it, it was good to hear you that you sort of moved along inside of inside of the writing in the book um, because the idea of one thing sort of pushing forward to the next and creating a sensation of time um, is also, I think, part of the work of the poet, even when the poet's writing essays. Yeah, and, and not even, you know, time, time as well as like dynamic, like you have such like kind of a dynamic range that you're able to encapsulate in there, which is really interesting. Um, what was your favorite essay from that collection that you that you wrote over these past ten years? Oh, the Bo Diddley one. Yeah. What, what yeah, about that one I, in particular? Oh, because I well, so it, it was. There's always a problem with writing about music in that. Um, Oh, the the idea that you can never write anything quite as good as as what you're listening to, um, and so with that that essay, I was trying to bring um, a kind of like an homage to Bo Diddley, like a, a to find a form that was as complex and dazzling and show offy as his music is, mm-hmm. right? And the way that it tugs forward and drives, and so it was just like an absolutely um, pleasurable thing to write, to try to figure out that puzzle of Bodidly and to try to also have the kind of like humor and playfulness and virtuosity of his music inside the essay. And I, so I finished it. I thought, oh, well, this is not going to be my most popular essay but, but because it's a, it's a little dense and complex. Um, but in terms of just like personal satisfaction and pleasure in making it, um, it, it definitely stands above for me. No, I get that. And you get that. I, I love that. That essay is a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed reading it. Um, one of the things, you know, writing these kind of hybrid pieces that are, are mixes between poetry and fable and, and nonfiction, how mm-hmm. do you find ways to ground yourself? Like, say, it's it's like an essay like the Bo Diddley one where you're experimenting a lot within that how do you find ways to kind of ground yourself in a structure? Is it something that you create while you're going along with it? Oh, I don't know. I, I think, I, again, you know, all the answers have to do with my practice of poetry, yeah. too, in that you find the form, right? You think in form. And so you try to find the form for the particular problem that you're facing. And rather than repeating forms um, or simply receiving them, although you do kind of work inside received forms, but you do something to them. Um, and, and so that's, you know, like thinking of form first and thinking, well, I have say, a challenge. Like, um, let's see, the, there's a piece in the, in the book um, about uh, time and illness Right, and the way that that being in the sick bed um, and uh, experiencing time when you're seriously ill, um, like how that's a different temporal experience than ordinary life. And so that when I had like this challenge of form, 
like putting it all together, like, well, how do I create something that's honest to that particular experience and also sort of honest to to what I was doing during that time, which is reading a lot, right? like like trying to see what the, the literature of illness is, trying to see what other people's experiences were like. Interesting. Okay. And I'm speaking of, I, I know you were diagnosed several years ago with a very rare form of a triple negative breast cancer. Um, right. And you're in remission at this point? That's that's correct. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, I, I know that you have a book coming out in 2019 called The Undying, which is a, a memoir based off of that experience. And I'm wondering what that was like for you to kind of dive into that as a whole and, and write about it and present that to people. Oh, I mean, it's really unpleasant and I don't recommend it. Yeah. I mean, I don't recommend writing about something like that. Um, it, but it was the kind of thing in which it really took me much longer than anything else. And not because of the number of words involved, but because of the difficulty of the task of not creating a sentimental or a self-heroicizing narrative, um, of not revealing things I don't want to reveal, Right, so being true to my own sense of privacy and to the private experience of, of myself and the people who cared for me, and at the same time telling the truth about what it's like to be ill right now. Um, and so I, I think it's the most difficult thing that I've ever written. In some ways, um, I thought I wouldn't ever finish, and I kept abandoning and deleting and giving up and feeling not adequate to the task. But I decided I had to finish it um, because of the things I needed to say in it, which ultimately are important things. And then also the idea that if I finished it, I would be able to write whatever I wanted next. Like I could go on from that and I could only write the most beautiful poems. I could write about flowers. <laughs> I could write about music. I could write about anything. I'll never have to write about that particular thing again, that I would be free from some of the seriousness um, in that book and allow myself to uh, just kind of luxuriate in language and beauty for a little while. Yeah, no, I think that's really interesting. And, and I'm glad, I'm glad that you're able to kind of take take that anchor and like really put it all in this one vessel and then be able to move on from that, and at least in your writing life. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that, that's so interesting. I'm excited to, to see that come out and get a chance to read it. Um, I know you are from Kansas. You grew, grew up there? That's correct. Um, yeah, I, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, this is Salina, Kansas. This is where I grew up okay. in the very middle. Interesting. And you teach at the Kansas City Art Institute, which is in Missouri, not not Kansas. <laughs> That's right. So a few <laughs> miles over the border in Missouri. I always have to remind myself of that. Um, How has your experience been teaching there? Oh, it's wonderful. I love teaching at art school. I'm, all of my students are, are practicing artists, and my colleagues. Um, are all practicing artists and poets and writers. And so we all have a very serious commitment to making things and to thinking about the world through our making of things, right? So that we don't um, give up our critical faculties instead of the creative one, but we um, definitely, like, uh, hold this sort of shared value, which I think is rare, and especially rare in this world, um, to, to be in a, in a group of people so devoted to um, art and, and to human possibility through it. 
And so it's a wonderful community to write out of and a wonderful place to teach. My students and the conversations that I have with them in class always inform my work. I don't think it could be what it is without them. Oh, I think that that's fantastic. Um, is there something fundamental in your, your teaching to your students that you try and get across to them, like above all else that you, you want them to take away when they have a class with you? Yeah, I, I want them to know that the world of the mind is theirs. And that even though they, so I, I teach not just writing, but I teach philosophy and literature too. And I want them to know that, that despite the way the world of thought um, and of literature looks like it belongs to um, the amount of dead men, right, <laughs> of, of European origin, that this is in fact not true, that they are the ones um, who have those conversations, that what they have to think and what they have to say is serious and that they should take it seriously um, and and that the world is theirs. No, I think that that's great. I think that's that's great advice. It's you know, and those things that those dead Europeans said are are organic and can be brought into a classroom, and it can come from them and what they're. Yeah, that, that's that's really interesting. I'm glad to to see that. Um, what was I going to ask you? Um, who are some modern poets that you look up to and wish people were reading, or more people were reading? Oh, so Alice Notley, I think, um, is one of the greatest uh, living North American poets. Um, and her work, so, so there's quite a lot of it, and she's been really active, um, or continues to be really active in writing and publishing. Um, and so Alice Notley is one. Bernadette Mayer is another one, another American poet from the same generation, uh, whose book Midwinter Day was written when she was the mother of small children um, across the shortest day of the year. And it was just one of the most kind of beautiful accounts of domestic life. Um, and so those are two of, of my elders that I'm quite fond of. Um, in terms of more contemporary writers, Fred Moten who's a theorist and poet, um, is absolutely fantastic across the board in all of his writing. And then Lisa Robertson, who is a Canadian writer now living in France, is one of my absolute favorite poets. Interesting. Okay, that's a good list right there. Um, a few that I haven't heard of and a few that I'm a big fan of, so I'm glad to hear you uh, being a proponent for them. Um, you had mentioned teaching philosophy in your your classes as well. Is there a certain vein or a certain thinker that you keep on coming back to? Okay, well, yes. So, so I, I have a frenemy in that in in in, in Rousseau. Oh. So I, that, that Rousseau is is the person who I I have the kind of deepest connection to, and read most frequently, and I'm always sort of arguing with, um, despite the fact that he's long dead and not able to to argue back to me. So Rousseau, and also among the philosophers, I. I am um, a big fan of Kierkegaard. Um, I, I am a fan of Kierkegaard as a poet. We, we didn't write poetry exactly, but he thought and imagined and created wild world, words and worlds like a poet. <laughs> I, I could, I could. That's a good argument right there. I could see it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do want to go back to you and your growing up in Kansas. Um, I'm wondering. You know, kind of, kind of being down south or anything, you don't get as much 
of what it means to be from Kansas or a can mm-hmm. Kansian. Oh, what, what is the term? Kansan. Kansan. We'll go with that one. Um, <laughs> you know, you have like, you know, what's the matter with Kansas being like a popular political way of looking into the country, but it's more about the country than it is about Kansas. Um, what does it mean to be a Kansan to you? Well, it has a mythic place in the American imagination. So, you know, Superman comes from Kansas and Dorothy does too. So it's always that place out of which, well, and, and, um, you know, the first skirmishes of the Civil War. Um, and it, so it has a place from which things are always kind of emerging out of the middle, right? And so in, in that sense, in that kind of, um, like, myth of the place, there's a lot of weight. Um, and in the reality of the place, there is the... the um, Oh, the remains of, of various farm crises and industrial agriculture, um, the death of the family farm, and um, these sort of conglomerations taking over the land and the landscape and leaving a lot of people disaffected um, with no jobs and no possibilities. And um, so I can see, tracing this through my own family, um, the path from the family farms um, to trying to like find these other ways to live inside of this state, and I, I think that it's it's a wonderful place to come from, not just sort of historically, and and not just because you get to like you know watching the changes and the people, but it's also good because it's kind of boring. <laughs> I mean, so it's more than kind of boring. I was like trying to soften it. It's like, incredibly <laughs> boring there, and and so when you're just incredibly bored, as my friends and I were, I like we didn't have a mall. I think it was really kind of late when we got a McDonald's. Like, we had nothing to do except entertain ourselves and to read books and to try to learn things. And we were all maybe kind of excessive in it um, and like in, in, in discovering ways to amuse ourselves inside of this, you know, huge sky, flat land, nothing to do kind of place. I get that. Um, you know, was that where you first started writing poetry or how did you start writing poetry? Oh, I've been trying to figure it out because I've been working on a little bit of a, a, a kind of novel coming of age as, as a poet. And um, because it's a very curious thing to be a little girl in the middle of Kansas and decide you're going to be a great poet someday. But somehow I like would write that in my journals like, oh, I'm going to be a great, it wasn't just a poet, I wanted to be a great one. Though I had no idea really what that would mean or who, who that was. Um and so, yeah, so I very early, I knew this was what I wanted to do. I was just like, I absolutely knew it. And I was so worried that I would just always be bad. And so my journals would be full of this, like, surely the universe is not so cruel as to give me this, like, passionate drive um, to be a poet and give me no talent. <laughs> that I will be writing these horrible poems forever. It seems as, as if it's the highest form of torture. And I realized... So this kind of gratitude towards my young self that she was able to tolerate writing hundreds of bad poems until she could get to a line or get to a phrase and maybe find something a little bit better. Um, And so perhaps, too, was the structure of boredom um, that it gave me a kind of tenacity to get through that that period in which... um, 
it's like learning to play the violin or something where you just make ugly noises <laughs> for what seems to be years before you can make any beautiful music. That's good. Did you ever feel discouraged by that or was it just like truck along, you know, keep going? Oh, I think I was discouraged every day. Yeah. These were obviously my teenage journals. So, you know, <laughs> they're supposed to be, they're supposed to be really goth and discouraged. And I was true to type. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I was discouraged every day, but somehow I was so attached to this idea of being a thing, which I couldn't, I, a thing I didn't know what it was. It was just a thing I knew I wanted. Interesting. Um, well, Anne, our, our time is short, but I, I want to ask you one more question. Um, what are you reading right now, and uh, what's the best book that you've read this year? Oh, so what I'm reading right now is uh, Samuel Taylor Coleridge, because I just went to the Lake District, where the old romantic poets hung out. And so, uh, I, 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 so I've been I've been going back in time um, <laughs> by virtue of, of being in the UK and that question, the best book this year, uh, I can't answer that. Yeah. <laughs> the, the year is not over. Oh, okay. And there is never just one. Is there, um, is there a front runner or a couple of them? Oh, God. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot right here. Cause I, cause I'm interested now. I mean, I know you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> I, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna decline to answer. That's okay. I'll take it. I'll take it then. Um, All right. Well, and uh, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you. I'm uh, looking forward to seeing you at Tulane on November fifth. Oh, thank you so much for talking to me.